Well, hello, hello, and welcome to the iFormerX podcast. This is Stuart Haynes, and thanks for listening. And if you're not already a member, please consider subscribing to the iFormerX podcast. You'll get each episode automatically downloaded to your smartphone. And if you find this podcast helpful, please be sure to like and rate us. We rely on word of mouth to attract new members to iFormerX. So if you find this resource valuable, do us a favor and take a moment to rate us and leave a comment using your favorite podcast app. One of the most popular features on our website is our top 10 commentaries. These commentaries are succinct summaries of new guidelines, therapeutic approaches, or practice management issues. In today's episode, we will be talking about the recently approved respiratory syncytial virus, or RSV vaccine, and its indications for use, how effective it is, potential concerns, vaccine administration, and practical tips on how to talk with patients. Despite the fact that RSV is a super common respiratory tract infection, particularly during the winter months in the Northern Hemisphere, until now, we've not had a vaccine to prevent an RSV infection. Like influenza, RSV is often seen by the general public as a relatively benign infection because most of us get only mild symptoms and recover pretty quickly. As health professionals, we all know RSV can be deadly in infants and thousands of babies develop severe symptoms and are hospitalized each year. But what I did not know was that thousands and thousands of older adults with chronic diseases like heart and lung disease also develop severe symptoms and many are hospitalized and and some die. And joining me today to talk about the RSV vaccines and the top 10 summary they wrote are Dr. Laura Knockle and Dr. Sarah Fitzpatrick. Dr. Knockle is on faculty at the University of Iowa College of Pharmacy and is clinical pharmacy specialist in ambulatory care at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics in Iowa City. And just down the road in Washington, Iowa, Dr. Fitzpatrick is an ambulatory care clinical pharmacy specialist at the Washington County Hospital and Clinics. Now, I'll admit I've never been to Washington, Iowa, so I did a Google search and discovered what a lovely city it truly is. And just like the University of Iowa Hospital and Clinics, it looks like they're doing some pretty progressive stuff down at the Washington County Hospitals and Clinic. And I know that Laura and Sarah teach lots of students and residents and are busy delivering direct patient care services. So I'm really grateful that they agreed to write this top 10 summary and to be on the iFormerX podcast today. So Laura, thanks for being on our show as a first-time contributor. And Sarah, thanks for being a return guest on our podcast. Thank you for having Sarah and me on the podcast, Stuart. It's great to be here. Thank you, Stuart. We are looking forward to the discussion. So Laura, I'd like to start our discussion by talking about the extent of the problem and why every pharmacy practitioner should be more knowledgeable about respiratory syncytial virus. When I was in pharmacy school, the only thing I remember about RSV was that it was potentially life-threatening to babies. And then later in my life, this really was driven home to me because my son developed RSV at two months old and had to be hospitalized. And as any parent knows, having an infant child who's seriously ill is a very scary experience. But RSV isn't simply a disease of the very young. So can you tell us a bit more about RSV 
and how and when it's transmitted, what symptoms it produces, and who's at risk for developing serious symptoms and potentially dying or being hospitalized. Respiratory syncytial virus, or RSV, is a common respiratory virus. In fact, it's so common, almost all children will have been infected with RSV by the time they turn two years old. RSV can be spread through the air via droplets from coughing and sneezing, as well as direct contact with the virus, like shaking hands or kissing. The virus can survive for many hours on hard surfaces, such as doorknobs and tables. Usually, people who are infected with RSV are contagious for about a week, including a day or two before they start showing symptoms. Symptoms are hard to differentiate from other respiratory viruses, including runny nose, coughing, sneezing, fever, and wheezing. While most people recover after a week or two, uh, infants, young children, and then older adults are at increased risk of severe complications related to RSV, such as bronchiolitis and pneumonia. Each year in the United States, 58,000 to 80,000 children younger than five years old and 60 to 160,000 older adults are hospitalized with RSV infection. 100 to 300 children and 6,000 to 10,000 adults aged 65 years and older die due to RSV complications each year. Children at greater risk of severe illness include premature infants, children younger than two years old with lung or heart disease, those with weakened immune systems, and children who have trouble swallowing or clearing mucus. I was similar to you, Stuart, in thinking that RSV was a disease of just the very young, but older adults are also at higher risk. Specifically, older adults with underlying medical conditions, including chronic lung disease like asthma or COPD, chronic cardiovascular disease such as heart failure, kidney disorders, liver disorders, neurologic or neuromuscular conditions, hematologic disorders, diabetes, and moderate or severe immune compromise. Other factors associated with increased risk for severe RSV disease include frailty, advanced age, and living in nursing homes or long-term care facilities. Thinking of when RSV is transmitted, historically, RSV epidemics start in October, peak around December or January, and end around April. However, this was disrupted during the COVID-19 pandemic. If we think back to the 2020-2021 respiratory virus season, RSV circulation was historically low, similar to influenza that year. During the 2021-2022 season, RSV season started earlier than usual, starting in May, peaking in July, and then ended around January. Timing of the 2022-2023 season shifted a little later in the year. It started in June, peaked in November, and then ended by February. So we appear to slowly be working our way back to a pre-pandemic seasonality. Typically, RSV starts out in Florida and the southeast and spreads north and west through the entire country. So from what I understand, there are two RSV vaccines that were approved this past year. What are the key differences between these products? How, how are they administered? Do they have different indications? And is one more effective than the other? Yeah, you're correct, Stuart. We now have two RSV vaccines that were approved by the FDA in 2023. RSV Pre-F3, brand name Arexv from GSK, and RSV Pre-F, brand name Abrisvo from Pfizer. For simplicity's sake, we will refer to the vaccines by their brand names today. Both vaccines are highly effective at preventing RSV-associated lower respiratory tract disease, or LRTD. Abrisvo is an inactivated recombinant subunit vaccine, which uses a surface protein from the virus to induce an immune response. 
This vaccine is indicated for the prevention of LRTD caused by RSV in patients 60 years of age and older. It also has a second indication for pregnant patients at 32 through 36 weeks gestational age for the prevention of LRTD caused by RSV in infants from birth through six months of age. Abrisvo is given as a one-time intramuscular injection. It must be reconstituted prior to administration and administered within four hours of reconstitution. Arexv is also a recombinant vaccine, but differs from Abrisvo in that it is an adjuvanted vaccine. The adjuvant used in Arexv is the same adjuvant used in the recombinant zoster vaccine, Shingrix, but Arexv only contains half the dose of what Shingrix contains. Different from Abrisvo, Arexv is only indicated for prevention of lower respiratory tract disease caused by RSV in patients 60 and older. It is not indicated for maternal vaccination during pregnancy. Arexv is also administered as a one-time intramuscular injection that must be reconstituted prior to administration and administered within four hours of reconstitution. In adults 60 years of age and older, clinical trials studied Arexv for two full RSV seasons and Abrisvo through one complete RSV season and partially through a second season. Abrisvo had nearly 90% efficacy in protecting against symptomatic, laboratory-confirmed, RSV-associated lower respiratory tract disease in its first season, and just under 80% in a partial season for a combined efficacy of about 85% against RSV-associated LRTD. In the studies for Arexv, protection against RSV-associated lower respiratory tract disease was about 83% in the first season and 56% in the second season, for a combined efficacy of around 75% in preventing RSV-associated lower respiratory tract disease. There have not been head-to-head studies comparing the two available vaccine products to each other. On June 23, 2023, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, or ACIP, recommended that adults age 60 years and older may receive a single dose of RSV vaccine using shared clinical decision-making. ACIP did not preference one vaccine product over the other. There is not currently any evidence to determine if additional doses are needed. This is being studied, and recommendations will be revisited once there is more data. Well, Laura, let's talk about some of the potential adverse effects of these two vaccines. Like most vaccines, I'm sure arm pain and injection site reactions are pretty common. How common and how severe are these reactions? Is the reaction similar to influenza vaccine, for example? And are there any other safety concerns that we might need to tell patients about? Both vaccines have the typical adverse reactions or post-vaccination symptoms we've come to expect from a vaccine injected into the muscle. Injection site pain, fatigue, myalgia, and headache. I want to specifically focus in on injection site pain. During clinical trials for Arexv, 61% of patients reported any injection site pain. Only 1% of patients reported this pain as grade 3, which means there was significant pain at rest and it prevented normal everyday activities. Injection site pain is to be expected if we think of the adjuvant in the vaccine, as it is the same adjuvant contained in the zoster vaccine, Shingrix, as Sarah mentioned earlier. For reference sake, during the clinical trials for Shingrix, 78% of patients reported injection site pain. Looking at Abrisvo, just over 10% of patients reported overall injection site pain. Almost all reported this pain as mild, and it did not interfere with their daily activity. Now, this was not the most common symptom, 
Actually, for a Brisvo, fatigue was more commonly reported at 15.5%. To compare these numbers to the influenza vaccine, I looked specifically at the three influenza vaccines that ACIP prefers for patients age 65 and older. The high-dose inactivated influenza vaccine, the adjuvanted vaccine, and the recombinant vaccine. Reported injection site pain varied between products from about 16% up to 41%. The frequency of serious adverse events for both vaccines was not statistically significant compared to their respective control groups. Ten patients who received a Brisvo and four patients in the control group reported atrial fibrillation within 30 days after injection. Now, coincidentally, the exact same number of atrial fibrillation events were reported with Orexvi and its control group. The FDA is requiring both manufacturers to conduct post-marketing studies evaluating the risk of AFib after vaccination. There were three cases of inflammatory neurologic events out of almost 18,000 patients, such as Guillain-Barre syndrome or acute disseminated encephalomyelitis, in the approval trials for Orexvi, as well as three cases out of over 20,000 patients with a Brisvo. We don't know if these events happen due to chance or if the RSV vaccine increases the risk for inflammatory neurologic events. Both manufacturers will conduct studies to evaluate this risk, as is required by the FDA. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or the CDC, is going to monitor for adverse events after RSV vaccination through the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System and the Vaccine Safety Data Link, including inflammatory neurologic events. The CDC is also expanding the vSafe monitoring program to include the RSV vaccine. This program may sound familiar to some, as it was originally created to monitor the COVID-19 vaccine. The program sends confidential text messages for patients at specific intervals to self-report how they feel after vaccination. I want to switch the focus for just a moment to the use of RSV vaccines in pregnant patients. As mentioned earlier, a Brisvo is indicated for use in pregnant people at age 32 through 36 weeks gestational age for the prevention of LRTD caused by RSV in infants from birth through six months of age. Originally, a Brisvo was studied during weeks 24 through 36 of pregnancy. During the phase three trial, the rate of preterm birth in the vaccine group was 5.7% compared to 4.7% in the placebo group. Now, while not statistically significant, the FDA chose to narrow the use of this vaccine to weeks 32 through 36 of pregnancy to minimize this risk. The manufacturer must also continue post-marketing surveillance to further investigate this potential risk. RxV was originally studied for use in pregnant patients as well, but the manufacturer chose not to pursue this indication due to preterm births in the treatment arm of a phase three trial. So, Sarah... There are two key populations that I think are potential candidates to receive the RSC vaccine, pregnant women and older adults. And while I know that some pharmacists provide vaccinations to pregnant women, I'd like to focus on older adults for a moment. First, how effective is the vaccine in preventing infections in older adults? And does it actually prevent infections or does it primarily reduce the severity of symptoms and therefore the risk of hospitalization and death. And second, who do you believe are the best candidates for the RSV vaccine? And lastly, should I recommend that people get both the flu shot and the RSV vaccine at the very same time? If I were a consultant pharmacist, should I be doing mass immunization with both RSV and the flu vaccine in an effort to reduce 
infections in long-term care facilities where I serve? All great questions, Stuart. In regards to your first question, the studies of the two RSV vaccines looked at an outcome of symptomatic, laboratory-confirmed RSV-associated lower respiratory tract disease. This is defined as 24 hours or more of two or more lower respiratory symptoms, including cough, shortness of breath, or increased sputum, and at least one sign, which includes wheezing, crackles, ronchi, low oxygen saturation, or need for oxygen supplementation, or increased respiratory rate above 20 breaths per minute. The studies were not powered to determine efficacy for preventing hospitalizations, severe RSV illness requiring respiratory support, or deaths. Now, as far as who should get an RSV vaccine, like Laura mentioned earlier, the ACIP recommendation for RSV vaccination in adults 60 and older is a shared clinical decision-making recommendation. This means there is no universal recommendation that all patients of a certain age group or with certain risk factors should receive the vaccine, but rather that patients together with a healthcare provider can make the decision to vaccinate based on their risk for severe RSV disease and their individual values and preferences. Lucky for us as pharmacists, the CDC does specifically state that the healthcare provider making this decision with the patient need not be the patient's primary care provider and could be anyone who provides vaccines, including pharmacists. There are several groups of patients who are at the highest risk for having severe disease from RSV and may be the best candidates for the RSV vaccine. These patients may include those with heart disease, chronic lung diseases like COPD or asthma, diabetes, liver or kidney dysfunction, hematologic disorders, or neurologic conditions. Other patients most likely to benefit include patients who are immunocompromised, frail or of advanced age, or those residing in long-term care facilities. Of note, the studies of RSV vaccine did not include patients who were immunocompromised, so efficacy in this population is not known. However, the RSV vaccines are safe for use in this population since they are not live vaccines. Of course, RSV season also falls during a busy time when many patients are seeking their influenza vaccine. So should we be recommending patients get their RSV vaccine at the same time as the flu shot? Well, information on co-administration with other vaccines is still quite limited with the RSV vaccines being so new. Immunogenicity of one of the products, Arexv, has been evaluated with the quadrivalent influenza vaccine. In this study, non-inferiority criteria were met for all but one strain in the 2023-2024 flu vaccine. Antibody titers for both influenza and RSV were lower with co-administration. However, giving both shots together is still considered acceptable, as the clinical significance of the low titers is not known. Overall, the decision to administer RSV vaccine with other vaccines should be based on individual patient factors, including feasibility of returning at a later date to receive another vaccine. Lastly, for any consultant pharmacists working with long-term care facilities, it would be a great idea to recommend mass vaccination efforts for the facilities you work with. Medicare has decided to cover the RSV vaccine through the Part D prescription benefit, meaning the vaccine must be administered at the pharmacy. This can certainly create some logistical barriers for patients residing in long-term care facilities. This lends to a great opportunity for local pharmacies to partner up with their community nursing homes to come in and administer RSV vaccine to the residents, 
who we know are at higher risk for severe RSV disease. Sarah, Laura, thank you so much for being on the iFormerX podcast today and for writing the commentary, Top 10 Things Every Clinician Should Know About the RSV Vaccines. Well, tell us what you're doing in your practice. Are you routinely recommending the RSV vaccine to your patients? Uh, What's been your experience so far? Given that many patients have never heard of RSV before, have you encountered any reluctance to get the vaccine? Remember, only iFormerX members can leave comments and use the interactive features on our website. Membership is free to health professionals and anyone training to become a health professional, so sign up today. And be sure to check out the American Pharmacists Association's Evidence-Based Practice Literature Evaluation Series. If you are a board-certified pharmacist, you can earn recertification and continuing education credit for listening to this podcast and reading the top 10 summary. To learn more about their program, click on the link posted below the written commentary on the iFormerX website. And lastly, I'd like to thank Jordan Ballou at the University of South Carolina for her contributions to iFormerX over the years. Jordan used to be one of my colleagues here at the University of Mississippi, so I roped her into developing and maintaining our immunizations resource page and And she's been kind enough to review commentaries, including this top 10 summary authored by Laura and Sarah. And she's recruited students and residents to become members of iFormerX. Jordan is a community pharmacist par excellence. Uh, She's helping to push the boundaries of practice by creating new patient care services and advocating for the profession. I miss you, Jordan, but I know you're doing great things in South Carolina now. Well, until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, editor in chief of iFormerX, signing off. Mm-hmm.